Drive Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks log snappers have to wear muzzles. That's Lenny. He's more of a growler than a snapper. I'm Mina Kimes. I am joined for the fourth time, we just found out, by Football Outsider's very own Derek Klassen. Welcome back to the show, Derek. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, I think the last time I was on here, the dog joke went over my head, but that one, that one was a good one. Got it. So uh, we're <laughs> off to a better start here than last time, at least for me. Um, Derek, uh, uh, you can read his stuff at Football Outsiders. You can find him on Twitter. Is it FB class or QB class? QB class. QB class. Yeah. QB class. All right. So you guys should check that out. Uh, he does great work and he is here to, of course, preview the wild card round. Um we got some news about the quarterbacks that give me comfort in saying there will be two bad games, three games that I think are good, and then one game that's probably bad but maybe good. Which one do you think that is? I'm gonna guess the last one is uh, Vikings Giants. No, I have that. I have that in my good games. Oh, really? Very, yeah. Well, I think they're evenly matched. I guess. Okay. That's yeah, that, that's fair. Um, it's Seahawks Niners. So the bad games are, of course, well, I guess if you guys haven't heard the injury news, the Dolphins, Bills, Tua Veloa is not playing. It'll be Skylar Thompson. That, that was also, I thought Teddy Bridgewater might play, which would have made it a little bit more interesting, but um, he is not. And then the heartbreaker today, this isn't, you know, set in stone, but Lamar Jackson, it's Wednesday, we're taping this, Lamar Jackson is not practicing Tyler Huntley's also not practicing, which is kind of like the Teddy versus Skylar thing, in which it it takes it from eh, to just duh, for me. They at least kind of seem to. I think Harbaugh at least said that like Huntley might be on track, duh. which is maybe something. But I don't know if we have to see Anthony Brown in a playoff game. I don't think I'm going to be very yeah, excited about that one. It's, it's a bummer too. We'll, we'll talk about that game because I think the defense plays them so well. I just finished rewatching both of those games and I was getting getting excited for the Sunday night matchup but we will preview it we will preview the Bills game I figure we should just go in chronological order however and start with CX Niners who um all things considered now I feel like the league maybe wishes that they were in a better time slot um yeah they they got the uh Jags Chargers got the big boy Saturday night time which surprised me but CX Niners is of course a uh, third time rematch for the season being divisional opponent a lot of i think these are all rematches actually um yeah they are uh so this is one though where i think there is a lot to learn from the previous games in particular the last one um the seahawks are obviously big time underdogs in this i think the place to start here derek is sort of building off of that last performance which is basically asking like what, if anything, Seattle can do to mitigate the Niners' four-man rush? Um, and I think this is a, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because in recent weeks, a few points in the season, but especially in the Raiders game, you have seen some offenses actually have success against this team and expose some potential weaknesses. So I guess my question for you is, do you think Seattle can do any of those things? I kind of have a hard time with it because I think if you're going to slow down this four-man rush, like, because the way that they play is so crazed, it's so hair on fire that the way to get them is, is, is to catch them being too over-aggressive. And I think the way that you do that is by running, like, some trap runs um, or you can get into, like, the screen game. And I just don't know that Seattle is that good at either of those things to, um, to really start to catch them in that way. Um, and I think if they start to leave, if they just start to leave their tackles in like, you know, five man protection, I think they're going to get, they're going to get toasted because I think 
like even Charles Cross, I think started off the season really well, but I think he's mm. been a little bit worse as the year has gone on. Um, and I think the same was true of Lucas uh, before he got injured. Um, and now with, with Forsyth, I think they're definitely going to run into some issues there. So for me, it was kind of just a matter of, of trying to, you know, catch them in some stuff that I think is, is, you know, some mind game stuff, which I think is why, like, if they run into the Chiefs again in a Super Bowl, I'd love to see it because that's obviously what the Chiefs do exceptionally well. But I'm just not very confident Seattle has that. Oh, Lucas will be back for this. So, yeah, so he, okay. he returned. Yeah, so that is helpful. But I think the interior of the offensive line is such a problem on this team. I mean, it, the whole offensive line has regressed a lot. And, yeah, to your point, like, the way you – so here's the way teams have had success against this offense. Um, the Chiefs did it with a lot of horizontal movement, I think, which is something they're – like, one, they have, like, you know, brilliant play calling. They also have um, – you know, skill players who are very good at executing and a very good offensive line. And then the Raiders game was really interesting because you saw a little bit of that success uh, horizontally and with screens and with play action. And then you also saw Stidham making plays outside of the pocket. So, and then, you know, they also have Devontae Adams. <laughs> so, and the Niners, you know, again, in the back end, there are some weaknesses, right? Like Tavarius Ward has been incredible for him and I expect him to lock down DK Metcalf in this one. But outside of him, the quarterback group is pretty dicey in San Francisco. And um, so I, so as far as whether the Seahawks can do any of those things, the Seahawks are the worst screen team in the NFL. It is, they've been like bad at screens, I feel like for like my entire lifetime. Um, They're averaging 2.9 yards on screens this year, 2.9. I don't know if you remember in the, the when these teams played the last time, they tried like a slip screen and Dre Greenwell just like, Yes, I don't yeah, remember yeah. who <laughs> he sent whoever ran it into the upside down. It was awful. I mean, which is probably the problem with playing the Niners, right? You can say like, oh yeah, short passes, screens, but because like you said, they all play with their hair and fire. It's like, okay, well you can do those things, but then they're so good at tackling, you know, even if you get the ball out quickly, especially the linebacker group. I think it's the last thing I said that's going to be massive in this game, which is, you know, Jared Stenham is not a terribly mobile quarterback, but he was able to use his legs enough to extend and make some plays. And for me, Derek, like if that's that's it, if there's a formula for the Seahawks offense moving the ball in this one, um, it really I, I think they really need Geno Smith to use his legs. And that's something, by the way, like I feel like is a kind of a trend this year. Like you saw this. He made some really good plays with his legs against the Rams. Like when he does, whether it's it's, you know, usually it's scrambling or throwing on the move. Uh, this offense is much more efficient. And I think that's something he's going to have to do against the San Francisco defense. I, I think I agree. And that, I, that's a good point because I think in coverage, in terms of when everything is you know on time and in rhythm and stuff, I think it's a pretty simple game for, for the 49ers, really. like they, tenri- they generally play a pretty simple coverage set anyway. They kind of just do a lot of quarters and rotation cover three. Um, because they just kind of have the dudes up front to to make it that simple. And then I think if they can just get Ward on DK all game, like Ward is going to bully DK, I think, into the sideline the entire game. And I think that element kind of just lets them push a lot of their bodies to the other side um, and kind of help help keep lock it down. And I think when all of that happens, kind of to your point, they're going to have to get Geno outside the pocket because I think um, it, it, they're not going to be able to get all those plays in structure and if they don't have some of these other counter punches that we brought up earlier, like kind of just has to become a, a Gino go do something, go save us game. And he's had that before, right? Like some of the throws that he made um, yeah. earlier in the season, like some some against the Saints were just like, I, I don't even, I, I, I think we were tweeting about it at the time. It was like, we didn't know that Gino had that, that, yeah. that club in his bag. We weren't aware that he could do that. 
But now we're aware that he can do that. And I think if he can step up and have a, a big game like that, I think he's definitely going to against his pass rush. I mean, that's probably the only way that I think this offense reasonably scores enough to keep up with the 49ers. Because like, if he's only going to be relying on plays inside the pocket, even though he's really, really good at that, I just think the other, you know, uh, the other 11 players on San Francisco outmatch the other 10 players on, on the Seahawks. Yeah, outside of, um, like, Tyler Lockett is going to be the one who's going to have the mismatches, right? If, assuming Ward takes out Metcalf. So it kind of just comes down to, okay, do you have time to find Tyler Lockett? Who's so good both um, inside and outside of structure? And, oh, my God, that Gina throw to Lockett, by the way, the post, the touchdown in the oh last game. Oh, my God, yes. It, it was <laughs> just like, I mean, I'm mentioning the Saints game again because that Saints game was incredible. But there was a throw in that Saints game that was exactly like that. And I was like, I don't know how he's throwing these picture-perfect post throws over and over again in the same season. Like, that, that's a once-in-a-season throw for a lot of guys. Um, So gorgeous. Do you think it would be a mistake for, so in the last game, you know, the Seahawks in both their games, you know, whenever they ran on early downs, for the most part, it didn't go particularly good. And, you know, thinking is like, oh, well, let's help Gino stay alive. Well, you know, now he's just in third and long. Um, do you think this the Seahawks, who have, who have had success running the ball recently with Walker, um, especially, by the way, in the Rams game, I thought like especially good under center, especially good when Damian Lewis was pulling. I feel like that was how they created some of their best runs. Do you think they'll have any success uh, running the ball in San Francisco, who obviously have a very fin- a really, really good run defense, or do you think um, this would this ought to be a pass-heavy script? I think it should be pretty pass-heavy, and the reason is, like, this San Francisco defense, it, it's obviously hard to run on them, like, generally, but they're mm-hmm. very, like, they just don't really give up explosives. Like, they are just such a sound, fast unit that it's really hard to pry open Um, those explosive plays and like this Seahawks running game is pretty reliant on only explosive plays they're not a very efficient running team even when they were good they're a very like sometimes Kenneth Walker just does something incredible and I think I just think against how sound this unit is how smart they play um, how good they are at even adjusting to like shifts and motions and understanding where their moving gap is supposed to be all that stuff and just how well they tackle like I just have a hard time seeing that they're going to get those explosives and so if they're generally not an efficient team they're running against the team that is not going to let them be efficient and it's going to be hard to get their explosives against this defense I think they're probably going to have to end up in, in a script where they're going to be throwing the ball a lot because I, I just have a hard time seeing how this run game helps them get into those you know second and fives or whatever pretty consistently I think that's going to be really tough yeah yeah 100 and they give explosives up through the air I mean when you look at exactly. most whether it's DVOA EP or whatever the Snyder's defense does give up deep passes it's just a matter of buying time and that's really it um on the other side of the ball i well let's start here where are you with brock purdy right now (laughs) um (laughs) to me like as a passer like a shanahan quarterback is a shanahan quarterback is a shanahan quarterback i think his timing can be very good i think it's a little up and down but that's probably natural just rookie stuff i think there are moments where he waits too long where he doesn't need to then there's moments where he's firing on time and he looks just like jimmy g does so um, I think hopefully if the consistency irons out, they'll be really good down the stretch. Um, accuracy wise, he's fine. His arm is like kind of good. He can do some really interesting stuff. What really I think separates Purdy to me and like, I don't even want to do the whole, is he better than Jimmy thing? It's just 
what makes him different, and I think different, especially not just to Jimmy, but to every other Shanahan quarterback we've had, um, really, I guess, since like RG3 is like what he can do outside the pocket and on the move, I think is really different. Because with Jimmy, you never had to worry about scrambling. He wasn't going to get outside the pocket and pick up 10 yards or, or try some sick throw on the run. But I think Purdy, um, I don't know if it's if he's just like that or if he knows that he's playing with house money, being like a seventh round pick and, and maybe he's not going to start next year. But like he is incredibly willing to just do some insane stuff out the pocket. And he's a really good athlete, not in the like... It's not like Josh Allen where he's huge and powerful and has these incredible strides, but it's almost the more like Patrick Mahomes where it's a very like he kind of just subtly curves his way around you like that that type of movement. Um, And I think it's really impressive and it keeps him clean a lot. And like I said, like that's just you never had to worry about that with the 49ers. There used to just be a stationary guy there at at seven yards and you were going to be able to go get him. That's just not the case anymore. And so even if I don't think he's a great passer, the, the structure is so insane that he can usually just be in structure and do pretty well. And then when he's out of structure, he has a little bit of a, he has a little bit of juice. So I think he's actually good enough to, to let this team make a run. I just have no idea where I really land on like what his long term is. He looks really good throwing on the run. Like he does. Yeah. He, um, I feel like he, whenever he throws in the run, that's to me when it really jumps out the difference between him and Jimmy G, just how naturally looks flipping his hips and how accurate he is. Um, I I mean, I asked about Brock Purdy, but the reality is this isn't really about Brock Purdy. Like, the Niners' insano, insano, well, insane skill players are just such a horrible matchup for anyone, but especially for Seattle. I will say, the last time these teams played, I thought Seahawks' defense, they had, like, a couple of really awful coverage busts versus George Kittle. Um, and then there was that one just, honestly, like, Kyle Shanahan should be prosecuted for his crimes against linebackers moment where he split the linebackers. Oh, with the, the double fake. Yeah, the double <laughs> fake. And then George Kittle was wide open. And then there were like a couple coverage busts. But outside of that, they actually did play them reasonably well, I thought, tackled pretty well. The problem in that game, the biggest problem for Seattle was um, they just really could not pressure Purdy. They only pressured him on uh, less than 15% of dropbacks. And he averaged a 2.99 second time to throw. So uh, that's something that has to change. You know, they're, they're coming off of probably their best pressure performance of the season, but against the Rams offensive line. Uh, but, you know, they have, they got uh, yeah, more out of Daryl Taylor, who's kind of come alive a bit down the stretch, Boy Mafe, Chen Nwosu, Bruce Irvin. And then in, on the interior, I think Quentin Jefferson has quietly been really good for them. So I just feel like that's where it starts. You, you have to find a way to pressure Purdy because, you know, his – Numbers do drop off, you know, pretty significantly when he's under pressure. Um, and then beyond that, you just can't bust against Kittle the way that they did. I mean, you got to tackle Kittle, which is easier said than done. But um, I feel like you just kind of accept the fact that Christian McCaffrey is going to run on you some, and you would choose that over, you know, just those big chunk plays to the tight end. I mean, I think with the pressure thing, I'm very much with you. Obviously, it's about, you know, can you just have the talent to get past their offensive tackles on, you know, when you're doing four down Mm -hmm. stuff? I think um, that's going to be hard because I think they have some of the best. They have one of the best tackle duos in the league. Obviously, Trent Williams is incredible. And Mike McGlinchey is not like a pro bowl or anything, but he's pretty good. Um, What I really, really want to see from Seattle actually in terms of pressure is open side pressures, like to the non-tight end side. Because I noticed when I was watching Purdy, Um, both in this last Seahawks game and some of the other Purdy starts like 
there are times when when teams are like sliding in their nickel a little bit and it's kind of a pretty clear blitz look and he just doesn't see it doesn't call any adjustments and he either gets moved outside of the pocket or he takes a sack something like that so i would really like to see seattle kind of kick up the notch on, on some of these open side pressures i know they're not like a huge pressure and blitz team especially yeah. lately but i think it would really behoove them to, to at least try that early on and see where that gets them yeah it is interesting they really don't blitz a lot um and that would be interesting because this would be the time like the niners have probably no expectation of it you know so it'd be an interesting change up on some of their tendencies uh so i feel like just to wrap kind of the formula for an upset to me would be Geno Smith making some plays with his legs, Tyler Lockett, big plays downfield, and then finding a way to pressure Purdy and, you know, maybe turn him over, which you know, he flirts with every now and then. That's kind of the best case I can come up with. I think I think the Purdy turnover thing is it because <laughs> he's gotten away with some... Uh... <laughs> He's gotten away with a couple of crimes, not going to lie. And I love the way he plays. I think it's more, you know, more helped him than hurt him. But eventually you have to think he's going to have one of those games, right? And I don't know if it's going to be this one, but it, he probably has one of those in him. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't think it'll be this one, but maybe it will be, you know. <laughs> um, okay, the night game. This is Chargers-Jags. So on one hand, I'm like, this is a great game. These teams, I feel like, are pretty evenly matched. I'm really interested in the play calling, which I'll get to. But then on the other hand, this also feels like a game that could deep, be deeply unpleasant, like a 20 to 17 game because of some of the, like, the I just see, like, the offenses dinking and dunking and the both quarterbacks under too much pressure and then just kind of just both fan bases being extraordinarily mad watching. I don't know why. I just feel like it could play out that way. But the matchup I'm, I'm maybe most interested in, and I really want to get your thoughts on, is um, Doug Peterson versus Brandon Staley. Uh, so Doug Peterson's offense versus Brandon Staley's defense. You know, on this podcast, I've talked a lot about how impressed I've been with Peterson's play calling, his ability to play on the weaknesses of some of the defenses. Uh, but then we've also talked about how, you know, Brandon Staley has done a really good job game planning as well, especially over the last half of the season. And as now you've got players like coming back, you know, Joey Bosa went out at the beginning. The last time these teams play is pretty irrelevant, by the way. It was like Justin Herbert had just gotten, you know, compressed. James Robinson was on the Jaguars. <laughs> James Robinson on the Jaguars. Joey Bosa went out. Justin Herbert was like, you know, just ugh. so anyways, things are different. So, so I guess my question for you is, um, given what we've seen from this Jags offense over the last few weeks, if you were Brandon Staley, and you have this defense that is pretty mutable, right? Like does a lot of different things, plays a fair amount, a lot of man actually, blitzes a lot, uses a ton of disguise. How would you approach Trevor Lawrence? Uh, I, honestly, I don't even know if it's approaching like... I don't know. To me, Lawrence is just such a like you can kind of do anything with him quarterback. I think what you really want to do with Lawrence is kind of bait him into middle of the field throws, because I think he's very much a quarterback who is going to play like anticipatory football. Like he's going to try to be, you know, this window is supposed to be here on this exact time and I'm throwing it right here. You know, you better be in this spot. And I think if you flood the middle of the field in, in, in some wonky ways, and I think the Chargers have done a pretty good job of doing that with some of the way they um, will rotate or even some of the ways that like they 
some of the particular ways that they match routes like i don't know how they're teaching it but it seems like they do it a little bit differently than some other teams um and i think that's interesting it's obviously going to put some some players in different windows so i think that's kind of all it is with trevor um i, I don't think you know pressing their receivers and messing him up that way is going to do anything and i don't really think sending like pressures at uh trevor is going to do a whole lot you know i think staley does a pretty good job when he does want to pressure and i think he can do some interesting things but to me trevor i think is such a smart guy that he usually does a really good job of preempting stuff like that so to me it's just kind of about trying to give him some windows that look nice over the middle of the field and then you know baiting him with some just weird hook droppers or something like that because he he does try to throw interceptions at times for as much as i love him trevor lawrence in the back half of the season which is you know the stretch where he's been really really good 27th in qbr versus disguised coverage um really yeah that was just playing with our time i mean disguised coverage is a little bit of a challenging mm -hmm. a lot of different places classify it different ways but i think it's a you know, it's a fairly good barometer for movement in the secondary so um that's something like i said that the, the the chargers use a lot of and to your point i think that they could muddy the picture for him in the middle of the field in particular the the, the pressing thing is interesting so i had a little bit of a back and forth with um ted win and max toscano on twitter about this because uh, ted did a piece on brandon Staley's different game plans and you know he talked about how much uh, man that they've been playing and i was like ooh, like it's a question for me with the jags because the Jags receivers don't really win, right? They're not going to separate a lot on their own, although I think Evan Ingram is a guy that you is a difficult man cover, but and Kirk to some degree, I guess. But Doug Pearson's really good at beating man. I think that's the thing that's really jumped out to yes. me the last few weeks. He's so good at dialing up man beaters, and of course Trevor is just like executing them to perfection. Um, Ted brought up, you know, the idea of because the other thing that the Jags do that they did against the Chargers last time and they do a lot is Trevor gets the ball out so quickly he did suggest like well maybe you do want to like disrupt their routes a bit and get hands on them uh and so and then Max uh also kind of echoed that and talked about the importance of just like trying to stop the Jags quick game because last time these teams played they you know they kind of just like it was Trevor was pretty surgical you know dinking and dunking especially on into the sort of flats on 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 and they were also very had a really effective screen game so i think it's like an interesting question if you're the chargers which is how do we take away their core concepts and keep them from just paper cutting us to death without making ourselves vulnerable to some of doug peterson's man beaters and i'm not quite sure what the answer is I don't know either because because again that's why I love Trevor and Doug uh, together it's just like I, I think they could totally could press and take some of that stuff away but I just don't think that that like kills the offense you know what I mean like I yeah. think I, I just trust Trevor and Doug so much to to have other options and like you said earlier like the way that Doug cooks up some of these man beaters like there was even one last week where it looked like they were running mesh and then with with the over the ball route um, by Christian Kirk but instead of running the over the ball route Kirk like gets to that landmark and then cuts back for like a corner the other way and like just man beaters like that it's like maybe Kirk is not the best overall you know man-to-man -man beater but like when you're cooking it up like that you're gonna get guys open and Trevor is gonna find them so um, I, I don't know I feel like they'll probably have enough in the bag I'm really interested to see how much and how well they can run the ball 
Um, because I think, especially if the Chargers want to go press and take away some of that quick game stuff, I think there have been times this year that the, the Jaguars have been very, very comfortable being like, all right, fine, then we'll just run the ball a bunch and, and we'll get our play action shots later. Yeah, especially against the Chargers. Especially against even, these guys, yeah. <laughs> even with Bosa back in the lineup, it's still an issue. And then, and yeah, it's... So yeah, I could see this being a big ETN game for sure. Um, on the other side... Uh, we kind of know what the Chargers do. Let me ask you this question. So we know that uh, Justin Herbert is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at throwing the ball when he is on the move. The Chargers defense facing quarterbacks on designed rollouts allow .39 EPA per play, which is 29th in the NFL. So my question for you, Derek, is do you think they'll put Justin Herbert on the move? (laughs) You would think, but I have had a hard time trusting (laughs) Joe Lombardi with uh, anything about that offense. Um, I would really like to see it, especially, too, because, like, I just really don't trust those linebackers on a lot of those, like, rollout stuff. Like, I just do not trust those linebackers to turn and run and get in the right spot. Um, I'm not even really sure I trust, like, their edge defenders to, like, play the, the back end of the naked very well either um so I, I think that's probably i think that's especially why they've been so bad at, at a lot of these plays and like you mentioned i mean herbert how many quarterbacks are as horrifying outside of the pocket as herbert like there are obviously guys who are going to be better pure runners but just in terms of like the throws that he's going to be able to make on the move 40 yards down the field if he wants to there really aren't that many guys like that and especially with the receiver core being a lot healthier now well, I guess that depends on like how, what Mike Williams' status is going to be, but better than it was I mean, a couple of months playing. ago. He's playing. Yeah. yeah. He's, we'll see how he is, but he's playing for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely like to see them do a lot of that because um, I, I think even just like some of their non-Tyson Campbell corners, if they can get guys running crossing routes away from Campbell um, or to the non-Campbell corner, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would also be like a huge matchup. So I, I think they just have... A lot of very nice advantages if that was something they would like to turn to. But again, don't know if I can trust Joe Lombardi until I see it. He's going to have to well, prove it. <laughs> it it's kind of, yeah, right. The, the Jags, like, the best shot that they have on defense, I would say, other than the Chargers, like, running the ball too much and um, not taking any shots downfield, is that their defensive line is, I would say, at a – somewhat of an advantage versus the Chargers offensive. I mean, the, D- the, the Jags defensive line was like insane <laughs> against the Titans in week 18, but the Titans offensive line is actually even worse than the Jags offensive or probably Chargers offensive line. But you know, that, that the combination, I mean, actually it was like all of those guys up front, Allen, Key, Walker, Hamilton, all of them. If they can just tee off on Justin Herbert, that's great for them. You know, that's sort of, they were really good against Derrick Henry too, right? Um, but if Justin Herbert buys a little bit of time, they can't cover these Chargers skill players. I really don't think they can. I mean, you mentioned, you know, um, Campbell is good, but like I don't really think – I think Keenan Allen is going to be a huge problem for them over the middle of the field. You talked about the linebackers too. So like uh, I, I, I I, just feel that it really it, – it's, it's, it's kind of like a similar problem to the Seahawks, although dialed way back down because – Jazz defensive line isn't what the Niners are, but like all Justin Herbert needs is like a half a second. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where this happens. Like, and then can the Chargers 
you know, I, who did a really, really good job dialing up some pretty fun pressures against Tennessee, pardon me, do the same thing against the, Char- uh, the Chargers, the Jags, there's the Chargers. I think that's kind of where this game will be won or lost. I think that's what they, they need to do, because I actually think they did a pretty good job of that uh, the last time these teams played, which obviously, again, like we said at the beginning, that it, these are very different teams than they were in week three or whatever it was, but they actually had a lot of success. I think it, uh, especially with like the way that they were, they had a couple of like, cross-dog blitzes that I thought were, were really, really uh, good. And they were like very willing to drop out their ends, which like the fact that Trayvon Walker can <laughs> drop out and be like a flat coverage player is just bonkers for a guy who is built the way that he is. But it's something he can do. And I think even though Herbert is exceptionally smart and, and unbelievably good at uh, replacing blitzes relative to a normal quarterback, like you said, like they're not going to be able to cover these guys if they just do like standard rush for um, and just have your guys play coverage like Tyson Campbell even though he's really good if that is far and away one their best coverage player and two like he's good but he's not a lock him up throw the key away type of corner like he's not that caliber so like the, the Chargers are going to get guys open if, if you have Herbert some time so I would like to see them get into some pressure stuff and really use Walker I think as a drop player every now and then I think would be interesting and then really see what they can do with Arden Key and like making him an interior rusher um, I think those are probably the best ways that they're going to be able to get after uh, the Chargers on offense, yeah. I lean Chargers here. I mean, they're the favorites, so it's not like a bold take. Really because of the quarterback, as much as I've loved Trevor Lawrence, I still think Justin Herbert's a tick above him. And then I do think Brandon Staley will come up with a really good game plan for this defense. I think that's going to be really, really fascinating to see. But this is this is, this is is close. I mean, I actually think Giants-Vikings might be closer we'll talk about that at length but this one's really close for me where are you leaning i am also slightly leaning chargers uh, just because like it's both really close but i think the chargers defense is a little bit better than jaguars defense and yeah. i think the chargers offense is a little bit better than the jaguars offense um mostly because i think for me like the skill players the skill player difference in, in, with the chargers is just They've just got more. They've just got more juice at the wide receiver core than, than the Jaguars do, and I think they'll they'll be able to have some more options. Uh, you know, Joe Lombardi willing. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably where I lean. I think Chargers by a little bit. All right, Bills by a lot. I don't really want to spend a ton <laughs> of time talking about this game. Apologies to Dolphins fans for a lot of things right now. Uh, it's it looks like Teron Armstead might play, which would be huge. Um, if he does, that's. Honestly, like not as much as the quarterback position, but the difference when he's in and out, out of this lineup is pretty significant. I, 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 the one thing that I was encouraged by, by the Dolphins uh, against the Jets, who also have a very good defense, and I think there's some parallels with the Bills, is how well they ran the ball. It was, especially after the prior week, it was like against New England. I, I think I complained about the run game being like so vanilla and obstinate and then against the Jets Michael Daniel really reached into his bag they were running all kinds of crazy you know sweeps and reverses and fake counters and stuff but Raheem Mostert also who was not incredible (laughs) and against the Jets like also might not play it's just it's tough I guess the only question to ask is like what would have to happen for the upset here i mean i think running the ball actually is is a pretty big part of it and i think running the ball specifically off tackle and to the perimeter because i think if you look at the way the bills defense is 
built in terms of personnel and in terms of scheme, it, it makes sense. Like in terms of personnel, um, you, you look at their interior. I think Daquan Jones has actually been like a pretty good uh, nose tackle for them in, in run defense. And then obviously like Ed Oliver is just a, a, a freak person uh, in terms of like generating, getting into the backfield and stuff like that. But their edges can, I think, be gotten in run defense every now and then. I think Greg Rousseau is pretty good, but I think the rest of their guys can be a little bit up and down in that area. Uh, And then in terms of, like, the the safety play, they just aren't getting the the run support in the alley that they're they're used to when they had their guys like Micah Hyde and and Jordan Poirier. Like, they're just not getting that same uh, run defense out there. So in terms of personnel, I think they're a, a little bit shot in this matchup in terms of, you know, running off tackle into the perimeter. And then I also think sometimes schematically you can get them because a, a lot of what a lot of teams will do against the Bills is they'll come out in a slot formation. They'll put two receivers to one side. Um, and so obviously the Bills will align Taron Johnson to that side. They will motion one of those receivers back the other way. Taron Johnson will bump into the box and they'll run right at Taron Johnson. And Taron Johnson is a really, really good run defending nickel. He's still not a linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're still getting a size matchup. And I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the Dolphins have had success doing that to them um, really all year. But in, in both matchups, they had some success doing that. So I think I expect some of that and, and a couple of more counter punches to, to getting to the off tackle and, and perimeter stuff, because I think that's really on in terms of run running the ball or throwing the ball i think that's the best place that you can get this bill's defense yeah i mean you kind of have to if skylar thompson is your quarterback as well yeah Um, i guess yeah it's yeah it's just it's gonna be tough sledding i think you know if it was too i think we would talk about some of the changes they could make versus you know who had a, a decent game the last time these teams played in buffalo there are weaknesses that the, you can exploit on the Bills through the air, obviously the second cornerback position being the most dramatic one. And I thought, um, I don't know, there'd be certain things that I think Teddy Bridgewater would be capable of executing as well in the past game that I just don't think will be there for Thompson. We should know, by the way, uh, the Bills, my, I don't think for this game, but Micah Hyde starting safety is practicing. I This is like, I don't know if you're having this experience, Derek, but there's so many guys returning and I'm like, what? I like whether it's like Rashawn Slater or I, I guys who are, I was They're just convinced the super serum now. <laughs> I don't dude. The, some of these injuries from the beginning of the season. I was like, there's no way. Ain't no way. And like Micah Hyde returning for this defense would be assuming that he's, you know, anything close to the guy that we saw would be massive against some of the high-powered passing attacks like Cincinnati and Kansas City in the future. I, I tweeted this, but just the most, I think, to put it in perspective, last year with Hyde and Poyer, the Bills allowed negative .4 EPA per play on deep passes, which is insane. The next closest team was the Seahawks, who were like .03 to give you a... It's, by the way, crazy that the Seahawks... Defense is pretty good at that last year. This year, it's 0.49 EPA per play, which is 24th. Like, massive, massive, massive difference to have him back there. Yeah, I think Hyde in particular, too, because Hyde was mostly their, like, open side, weak yeah. side safety as much as they can get him. You know, those guys kind of, you know, interchanged a little bit so they could both do whatever. But Hyde was more often the one covering a lot more space and having to cover more ground coming down into the alley, playing run support. Um, getting over the top of routes and stuff and so the fact that they could maybe get him back I think would be huge especially in some of these later matchups where like 
there's going to be teams that are trying to run the run these like big deep overs and like who better than to to cut those stuff off from like a quarter alignment than Micah Hyde like he, he's been doing that for years in Buffalo so I think it would be huge to get him uh, back into the secondary because if, if that secondary could get short up just a little bit I, I think they do have a lot of pass rushing talent up front it's just like they mostly don't have the time they just don't have the talent in the back end to cover for them long enough yeah do you think do you think there's anything that the Dolphins defense can do to give the Bills trouble? Um, you know, we this is I'm trying to think of like I want to talk about the Dolphins, but I'm also thinking kind of like more holistically about like what would any defense have to do against this Bills team? Um, I think you know, it really it always starts with can you take out Stefan Diggs because outside of him Josh Allen's other pass catchers are so unreliable. Uh, but I don't think I just have a hard time seeing the Dolphins even starting from that point addressing Diggs with their injured cornerback group. Yeah, I think just taking out a receiver is there's no shot. Like you said, like they just don't have the cornerback talent right now. I want to see them send more pressure than they did the last time because the the Dolphins led the league in five or six man rushes. Mm-hmm. But the last time they played the Bills, they only ran it seven times. And like I know Josh Allen is very much a if you blitz him and it goes wrong for your defense, he could absolutely nuke you and instantly throw a touchdown. But I think you kind of just have to do that. Um, play to the him. variance like, and just hope yeah. for him. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to play to the variance and, and play into what Josh Allen is. And yeah, play into the chaos. Um, and I think like that offensive line has not been that good at, at picking mm. up a lot of pressures and stuff. I think they struggle with that. And then the other thing with them in terms of that is that team will do anything to not keep their running back in in pass protection. They will do anything. Yeah. They will go to empty. They will RPO. They will start calling screens a bunch. Like They will do anything to keep that guy out of protection. So if you can start sending some pressures and force them to do it or force them into their, oh, no, Josh Allen bail us out call, which is get into empty so they can't really do that, um, that's what I really want to see from Miami. I think that's probably their best bet because, like you said, like they're not going to cover digs. Um, and then even some of these other reliable options, unreliable options on the Bills, like the Dolphins cornerbacks are also not that good. So I think covering them is not really an option. I think you got to just send pressure and let the chips fall where they may. I agree. All right. Fingers crossed. I don't know if Teddy's Tay hasn't been rolled out, but it would be sure it'd be nice if, I mean, I guess he can't throw because of the fingers. So not really <laughs> optimistic about that. But um, all right, let's take a quick break. Come back and talk about the remaining three games. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Giants-Vikings. I think this is a really good game. I mean, I, it, they just played, and it was close. I think that's probably in, in fact, like, that has certainly influencing my thinking. But I just rewatched that game, and it was very close. Um, two <laughs> very different teams in some ways, although I think they're, there's some interesting parallel. Weirdly, Kirk Cousins and Daniel Jones had, like, some real interesting similarities in their stat lines in the last time, but very different stylistically, of course. Um, let's start with sort of the Vikings offense against the Giants defense. So the last time these teams played, and we talked about, you know, starting from the vantage point of covering digs, everyone who plays the Vikings starts from the vantage point of how do you cover Justin Jefferson. So the last time these teams played, the Vikings played a fair amount of split safety. They had Fabian Moreau on Jefferson uh, with safety help a fair amount of the time, but he wasn't pressing him he gave him a lot of cushion and I guess that would be my first starting point is like the teams that have had success against him have been ones that have gotten in his face a little bit more with help now Fabian Moreau or if Dory Jackson plays but that's a big question mark right is not Jair Alexander so I guess my question for you is like, would you still advocate trying to be physical with Justin Jefferson in the line of scrimmage? Or do you think that the approach they took last time is the right one? I would try to get physical with him because like they kind of got like it was still a close game doing what they were doing last time. But I think kind of like what you said, like they the best teams that have handled Justin Jefferson have had help over the top or they've bracketed him or something and whoever is the low player is up in his face and pressing him not even necessarily like jamming him you don't necessarily have to get hands on him but just crowding his space making him declare everything that he's going to do right away so whoever that is that back end player that bracket or that safety over the top knows where he's declaring knows where he's supposed to be all that sort of stuff i think that's the way that you have to handle jefferson because if you give him these free releases like he's gonna make everything look the same until you're beat you know what i mean um, like he, he's just too good of a route runner he's too athletic so i would like to see them get more uh aggressive in that front what just makes it tricky is like even though they did this last time like this is just not the style of defense they want to play at all like it's just so antithetical to what martindale wants to do which i think makes it a really interesting matchup and i think you always end up in a a weird spot when you have a very clear answer to an offense but it's just like everything you hate doing as a defense <laughs> um so I, i'm kind of curious to see if uh if, if the vikings have some good answers for that well that's the other question i guess which is how much do you blitz kirk cousins because in the last time you know everyone knows me martindale they blitz a ton the last time these teams played it worked and it didn't work. Like, it definitely rattled Cousins and forced a bunch of negative plays. They got to him. But in the end, he was able to punish it, punish them their blitz by throwing to Jefferson, which is, you know, the Kirk Cousins-Justin Jefferson connection versus the blitz is very good. I thought um, they ran a lot of successful screens against the blitz. Uh, they were able to use tempo to mess with the Giants um, and get them in the personnel groupings that they wanted. So, like, I guess my question for you is, 
Do you dial up or down the aggression if you're Wink Martindale? Or do you just kind of look at what happened last time and say, well, let's just like roll the dice and sometimes it'll work? I think I, I, I try to dial it up a little bit if you can, honestly. And that's going to it's going to be hard to strike the balance between, you know, finding when to blitz and when to pressure versus like when to just keep your cloud like simple cloud coverage over over Jefferson and stuff like that. But the reason I would want to blitz more is those linebackers cannot play in space at mm. all. You do not want them covering. Uh, at least I don't, especially against, you know, I think TJ Hawkinson is a pretty good Who tight end. Eight, by the way. The last yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I would like to avoid that maybe happening again, because like I said, like these linebackers are just, they're, they're some of the worst coverage linebackers, I think, in the league. And I think it's always kind of been hard to cover in a Wink Martindale scheme anyway. I think it's just so much easier to let those guys get after the quarterback straight away or, or, um, you know, just have it to where they have options to just lock straight onto whoever their man is on the running back and just say, okay, if you're in, uh, then I'm hugging you up. So I, I would like to see them do more of that. Huge injury to monitor is uh, whether Garrett Bradbury, their center plays, because the last time these play teams played, they were down to like their backup backup. I think anyways, Dexter Lawrence is a problem. So uh, that's something I think that'll make a huge difference for Minnesota because it really does start up front for them, right? Because um, the like we I think we agree that the, the the Giants secondary might get Xavier McKinney back, so that's another thing to keep an eye on. But even with that, they're just outmatched versus I think this group of skill players. Um, on the other side, this was a really interesting game because uh, Mike Kafka, Giants offensive coordinator, really switched things up, and Daniel Jones came out throwing against and it and it, it, they seem kind of unprepared for it to be honest um yeah I, I i tweeted like a video of isaiah hodgins uh running a double move on patrick peterson but it felt like you know D- jones even hit a few deep passes and i think the giants the vikings clearly came into this thinking the giants were going to do the thing they usually do which is throw underneath a lot run the ball pretty heavily qb run game and instead I think they kind of flipped a script on them in a way that took them by surprise. So, like, if you're the Giants, what approach do you take this time? I mean, I would kind of like to see them hammer that again because I don't think these Vikings corners can can run. I mean, Mm. like, you kind of saw it on the Pat Pete double move, but I think generally they're one of the slower secondaries across the board uh, in the entire league. And, like, these Giants pass catchers are not good. But there's more juice to them than they get open. you might think. They, they, they so, kind of so do. They're Him not good Slayton. after the catch. Hodges and yeah. Dude, yeah, Hodges. And he, even Richie James underneath. Like, Richie mm-hmm. James, shout out to you, by the way, carrying me to the my fantasy uh, third place game <laughs> out of desperation. But no, but like, they're, they're not great. They're not like, all, none of them are like very complete, but they do get open. I, I've noticed that. So they like I a think, receiving yeah. court. Where if any of them was your third best player, you would yes. be so happy. It's just that 100%. all of them are, they're all playing, which kind of sucks. If you threw in, like, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins, is, there's rumors to be he might be available for trade. Suddenly, I love this group. You exactly. know? <laughs> just bump everybody down a little bit, and everyone's in a perfect spot now. Exactly. Um, so you would take it. Because, you know, obviously the Vikings defense is also very bad against the run. Um uh, yeah, it was interesting. Jones didn't they didn't really use him that much as a design runner that the last time I think, he's played. Uh, that actually was a little curious to me. I would like to see them do a little bit more with Daniel Jones, but I actually think the Vikings run defense has been a little bit better lately. I think especially yeah. in uh the interior, like especially since I think uh Kyrus Tonga has come on. I think yes. that has helped them a, a good amount. 
Um, by the way, the Bears cutting two players for no reason to end up on a Vikings playoff <laughs> roster is insane to me. Kyrus Tonga and Duke Shelley, the corner, um, who I love, uh, just a, a chippy little man. He loves to hit people. Um, it, it's just insane that they, they got those guys playing that way. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah I, I, w- I, I would kind of be curious to see if they can actually run the ball better this time because I actually just don't think the interior for the Giants is that good. And I think it's going to be able to hard. It's going to be hard to get some of the movement I think they, they have wanted to get. So that's why I would like to see more Daniel Jones runs is because obviously those all end up hitting the perimeter instead of right up the middle. There were a few times where I was like, oh, God, if he keeps this, he could get 10, 12, 15. You know, it was just, it's there for him. They had a lot of success um, in the first game giving the ball on RPOs. They ran a ton of RPOs, and the Vikings just could not stop them, which has been a, a pattern over the course of the season, As even if their run defense is a little bit better. And I think, I would, I think there will be more opportunities along those lines. Um, yeah, I, I, for me, from from the Vikings' perspective, it, the other interesting thing I thought in this game, there was a, a bunch of tendency breakers. The Vikings blitzed Daniel Jones more than, the Vikings have quietly been blitzing more as the season has gone along. And um, I don't know when Ed Donatel really flipped that switch, but it is something they do with mixed success. And they had a fair amount of success doing it against Daniel Jones in this one. But, you know, I think for them, it really starts with their four-man rush with um, Zadarius Smith in particular. I think he has the potential to really make life difficult for Daniel Jones. And then also will need to be, you know, they, they I mean, he plays inside for them a lot, but they their defensive line is going to have to do, uh, I think, a pretty, a better job than usual of setting the edge. But I, I don't know. I kind of think both of these offenses have the capability to move the ball on both these. Oh, and then the other thing is, like, both these defenses can't stop play action. So uh, that's something I also expect both offenses to do with success in this game. I think, really, the, the kind of like you just mentioned, the, the Vikings' front might be able to tilt this game, or not necessarily just their front, yeah. but how they pressure. Because like you said, they did do some really nice pressures. Like, there was one where they got... I want to say it was Pat Pete uh, uh, blitzed around like Andrew Thomas, and I do not think Andrew Thomas was ready for the corner to take as wide a path as he did and get to Daniel Jones. Um, and then all night they were they were sending stuff at um, on Evan Neal's side, and yeah, Evan Neal he, he just tough one. It's not even that he can't see it; it's just that his feet are so heavy that I think he just has a hard time getting out to to some of the moving parts. So I think if they can do that again, I think they'll probably have some success. Um, but really, like in that last matchup, I don't think anybody but Thomas on that offensive line played very well. Um, so I think if they can, if the Vikings defensive front can turn it up just a little bit from what they did the last time, I think it would really, really put Daniel Jones in hell. And even though I just said that they should try to keep up some of the deep passing and take some of your shots and move the ball mm-hmm. that way, if the Vikings can turn it up just a smidgen in terms of pressure and getting to him, I think it throws a wrench in that pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, you got to keep them honest with the threat of Jones running, frankly, mm. at all times, um, especially those linebackers we talked about who you can really hit in coverage. Um, oh, another thing I wanted, another injury it's important, I think, is uh, Irv Smith, speaking of players, activated off of injury <laughs> reserve. Irv Smith Jr. was activated. That, to me, would be really interesting because we haven't seen him and uh, TJ Hawkinson play together and I think that you know, whether it's in this game or if they advance in another one, 
I think that would be I, – I, I would be very curious to see what Kevin O'Connell does with the two tight ends on the field because defenses have to play, pay so much attention to Justin Jefferson. And Hawkinson and Osborne and Thielen, to, they've all been able to take advantage of that at times, but I think if you were able to come out in those two tight end sets, that could be a real problem for defenses. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you can add personnel variety, you have something that's really – that's really kicking and I think especially the thing with Irv Smith too is like he's not the greatest inline tight end but I think because Hawkinson can also be so good at at being kicked out into the slot or as a jumbo receiver whatever I think both of them kind of have this like flip-flop positional value that you could do some really interesting stuff with if they wanted to I don't know if I would ever make it like the base of my offense with them but for something to throw in like with Irv Smith's speed um, and how well Hawkinson gets over the middle, like in that intermediate area, like that could be something that I, I would really like to see them look into, especially in these matchups where, like in this one, the linebackers are just not very good. And this would probably be a very good time for them to experiment for something if they think Irv Smith is, is really healthy enough to get that many snaps. Yeah, this is not a good linebacking game on both sides of the ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm kind of I I I mean I I lean Vikings a little bit just because of the Jefferson Hawkinson combo and then. I think um, the defense will be a little bit less taken aback by the Giants' offensive approach. But I do think this is a close game. Yeah, I th- I think it'll be a good game. The reason I had said that this was your bad game or, or whatever it, it was that you said at the beginning was, I think this is a close game, but it's probably the, the only game where I don't think either team can win the Super Bowl. Whereas I think all the other games have at least one team where reasonably I could see it. Ah. This game just feels a little bit wow. like a... We're playing to have fun here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, speaking of teams that can't win the Super Bowl unless they get their quarterback back, Anthony Brown. (laughs) Okay, wait, I should just actually give the the actual latest news. So it's Wednesday afternoon, um, and the latest... From, so this was kind of like the day we were going to find out if, if Lamar Jackson was actually back. And there was it was like, tri- there were reports all week like things are trending in a good direction in Baltimore. Chef Adam Schefter wrote, in addition to Lamar Jackson not practicing today, the Ravens quarterback Tyler Huntley did not throw a pass during the media viewing of Wednesday's practice due to tendinitis in his right shoulder via Jameson Hensley. I can't watch Anthony Brown again. I can't do it. I, I that We're going to have to. <laughs> oh my God. Brutal. Let me let's start. Like, let me start with this question: Do you think that they could win if Tyler Huntley was playing the Ravens? Uh, honestly, yeah. Like it wouldn't be. It would obviously be, be, be anything hard. that. Yeah, it would be really hard still, and it wouldn't really be because like Tyler Huntley does something incredible. He would just be less of a train wreck and keep it close. Because I think what would really ultimately win this game is obviously Baltimore's defense, but Huntley does give them a better chance to get to. God, this sounds sad, but like he gives them a better chance to get to 20 or 24 points than Anthony Brown really does. I would be shocked if they get over that with Anthony Brown. I mean, that side of the ball is almost like not interesting to me with Anthony Brown. Um, Which actually is unfortunate because I think the Bengals defense is so cool, but they're playing like a fake matchup, which is just, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think if they were playing a defense like... I don't know Dallas's. I would, which is you know a good defense, but that has like exploitable, weak, very clear weaknesses. I think I would be able to kind of talk myself into like a run-heavy game plan. But the Bengals' defense is just very sound against the run, and 
I don't think they're going to have trouble. I mean, you know, they, they, which is, again, like the, this last game, like they won large part because they turned Brown over because he was, he wants to give the football away. Um, and it was a shame because this bank, this Ravens defense plays Joe Burrow really well. So I guess like, I'd rather talk about that, frankly. Um, what do you think is like the single biggest thing the Ravens defense does that? So, so, uh, Ben Solak posted like a little bar chart showing Joe Burrow's EPA on the season. And it's all good except against the Ravens, basically. I'm kind of TLDRing it. What do you think is it, it is that they do that gives them trouble? I think it's a couple of things. I think one, they are, even though Wink Martindale is not the defensive coordinator anymore, and even though they don't pressure and blitz quite as much as, as you might think they used to, they are still a very, very good pressure and sim pressure team, especially over the back half of the season. I think they have done an exceptional job of hiding stuff and getting guys into the right position. Um, Justin Matabuike has been like a monster in the interior to kind of open up space for some of these other blitzers and stuff. Um, and I think, it, and then part of that too is just having Roquan in coverage behind those pressures, I think has done a lot for them because you're just so much less exploitable in the middle of the defense. And I think that was, that was pretty huge, especially in this last matchup. Obviously he wasn't there for the first time they played, but I think it really helped them this, this second time around. Um, and then I think they actually do, they're not afraid to get physical on the outside with those big receivers. And, and, and obviously, like, you're going to get beat by those guys. There were a couple times in this last game where, like, Daryl Worley was just getting dunked on because, like, that happens. Like, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, they're going to do that to you. But guess what? They're going to do that no matter what you play. No matter what coverage you play, those guys are going to dunk on you at a certain point. So I think it's actually good that the Ravens are pretty willing to get up in their face and press, push those guys to the sideline. Um, and disrupt some of Burrow's time because I think Burrow, especially lately, has been a very like, you know, boom, 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 we got to go get the ball out. And I, I think mm. he's kind of been that way lately. And so I think with some of the pressing that they do and some of the interesting pressures that they can bring to kind of make him think about where the ball is supposed to go, I think that's why they've done such a good job of, of giving him trouble. Yeah, it, I agree with everything you said. Watching them last week, I think clearly that they add an extra beat because of the design this guys and the, the simulated pressures in particular and then they're really good and this has been turned up tremendously with Roquan Smith of course at taking away the middle of the field and forcing Burrow to throw the ball outside uh, where then their corners are pretty good at contesting as you said um you know, this year, like Joe Burrow, the Bengals offense really improved once, you know, they struggled at the beginning of the year against cover two and like split safety looks. And then they started running the ball pretty efficiently. And then uh, Joe Burrow was really good at getting the ball out quickly and getting yards after the catch in the middle of the field. Right. So they don't run the ball well anymore. The Bengals really bad right now. Uh, and then the Ravens, because again, because of Smith and what he does in terms of his own coverage abilities, but what he unlocks for other players around him too. Um, and then schematically, they're really good at taking away the middle of the field. So I think it's like they kind of like it's the counter to the counter in some ways, right? Which is they kind of have they have their personnel and the way they're coached are they're just really good at taking away the things that the Bengals do have done in response to um, those two safety looks. They also like uh, I. I tweet out a video of Roquan and Kyle Hamilton, who's been a big beneficiary along with Patrick Queen of Roquan Smith because he's been so good in the slot and playing close to the line of scrimmage and uh, just blowing up a screen. And this was like, to me, in such stark contrast to, you know, when the Ravens, remember when they played them 
in the regular season last year and they were all banged up and Jamar Chase was turning like screens into like 50-yard gains. Those yards are now hard to come by against this Ravens defense. So it's, it's, it's a cool defense because they're not an elite pass rush, but they're like so good at everything else that it kind of doesn't matter, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think like what you're what you're talking about with um, last year, they were giving up all those plays as compared to even just this last time they played where like Hamilton is making plays in the backfield and stuff like that. This is like kind of anecdotal or, or whatever, but it just feels like everybody around the defense plays so much faster because Roquan is there. It, it totally. just feels like he brings this stability. Like, you know where he's going to be. Like, even in run defense, I feel like Patrick Queen is so much more willing now to just run down, be a hammer, because he knows Roquan is going to clean it up behind him. Um, just stuff like that. Or, like, when they send their pressures, um, you know, they're not scared to take the like, light. They're just not scared to go get after it because they know Roquan is going to be right there and, and be able to cover whatever that slant window or that check down he's going to be able to get up and run to it. So... I just think having him, they, they already had a very good schematic defense and we're doing some of these things, but adding him to just make everybody play a little bit faster and do some more interesting stuff um, in coverage, I think has been huge for them. Like Roquan, I think I said this before the trade, I might have tweeted it or something. There is one linebacker who lets you do cooler stuff in coverage than Roquan Smith, and it's Fred Warner, obviously. Yeah. But like Roquan, I think, unlocks so much other stuff. Like There was one play in, in this last game that the, the Bengals and Ravens played where I think the, the Bengals run some sort of play action, and Roquan steps up, sees the flat player go out, realizes, okay, that's not my guy. Turns, runs back up like the pole, and there, there's a seam runner in his face to the side he turns to, and he starts looking for that. That gets past him, and he realizes, oh, nope, corner or uh, an over route coming from the under, other side. He gets under Higgins on the corner route and, like, kind of really squeezes the window so that Burrow has to throw it way out in front of Higgins and make him keep running. Runs him straight into a corner, hits him incomplete. Like, plays like that just weren't happening in Baltimore before him, so... I'm just really glad to see him, and I'm really glad to see him against this offense again because I think it, he's like the perfect kryptonite type of player for them. I think for Joe Burrow and the Bengals, both in the you know future, but particularly in this game, it I feel like I keep saying this, but it really comes down to how do you buy that extra split second? Because you know I think ultimately the Ravens can't cover all of the Bengals' skill players, um, and uh, you know the 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 Ravens are able to kind of win that like force Joe Burrow to hesitate because of everything we just described. Um, the, I, I'm a little bit concerned about the injuries on the right side of the offensive line. So they did lose Alex Kappa. Of course, they had already lost Lyle Collins, who, you know, however he was playing, they're down to backups there, which I think really hurts them particularly in the run. But Burrow has been so good at playmaking this year, his pocket movement, um, his ability to extend. I think those things will if he can sort of crank that up a little bit in this game, I think you can create some problems for the Ravens defense if you're able to make the play last a tick longer than they wanted to. Do you do you think maybe that would lead Baltimore to sending not actual pressures, but maybe sending more simulateds and creepers and stuff? Because if the Bengals, the offensive line is going to be a little bit depleted, you don't necessarily need to send the bodies. You kind of just have to get Burrow to, to, to think and then... You know, obviously, if you're sending pressures and he just breaks one guy, well, then shoot, you're screwed. And he did yeah. that a lot in this last game. He did that probably better than I've ever seen him. And he's very good at that. But he had about four or five plays in that game that were just like, you're not supposed to, to stay up from that. Like, I, I just don't know how he did it. 
Yeah, I don't know. I kind of think you err on the side of coverage here. Um, mm-hmm. I it's because Burrow's really good at quick problem solving. You know, um, I, but you're, I, I guess with the is, the issues on the offensive line, there is a temptation to create some confusion. For you know, he, I guess what I'm saying is he, he's gotten so much better at protections this year compared to I think at the end of last season that was. I mean, the offensive line was a big problem last year, but Burrow also wasn't as good at um, protecting himself and and diagnosing pressures as he is this year. So, but but again, like the bank, the Ravens seem to have like a really good job confusing him. So, or do a good job confusing him. So, um, you know, the the for Baltimore, essentially, what you want to do, the goal is to get the Bengals to run the football and dink and dunk underneath, right? Um, and I think they're perfectly capable of compelling them to do so. So, you know, this I, the Bengals are going to, I think they're going to win pretty handily, but I do think the Ravens defense will continue to give them some trouble. I will say, though, this is, they have played, and this is the third time, and I think that's something that will help Burrow as well because I can't imagine that their approach will change too much. I would agree. I, I think the Bengals are, they, 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 I feel like the Bengals are an offense that like develops over the course of time, but not not necessarily like o- over this like one game sample. I think they kind of just are a little bit do what they do um, over certain stretches. So yeah, I wouldn't expect them to change very much. Mm. All right, the big Kahuna, Cowboys, Bucks. I have to go to. I have to. I get to go to Tampa on Sunday. <laughs> I have to. No, it's Tampa. I mean, it's a little bit of a have to. Uh, <laughs> I, I I'm from Florida. I know what it is. Uh no, this is this is the one. And and honestly, like. We can joke about this game like Brady Cowboys ratings, but when I worked on like matchups and I thought about it, I do think it's going to be a really good game. Um, and I think it's going to be, it, it's for me, it's pretty hard to project as well. I don't know. I've gone back and forth a few times. I, I, I do worry that like I'm a little bit influenced by watching the Cowboys just totally melt down in the final week of the season. I'm like, okay, am I, Am I being too reactionary to seeing Dak Prescott play maybe the worst game of his career? Um, because that's not who he is as a quarterback. It's it was so crabby because it was like this is this is who people think Dak Prescott is, and he's not actually that quarterback. You know what I mean? But I guess. And then we're also coming off of throwing out maybe like the first half of Week 18, but really the week prior, where suddenly the Brady to Mike Evans connection was back, and Brady was slinging it downfield. I'm a little bit worried that like watching those two games recently is making me think, I don't know, is is like giving me a lot of pause with the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, the the last game really leaves like a, a bad taste because they technically did still have something to play for, which is what makes it weird. Yeah. It wasn't just like a throwaway game like the the I mean the Vikings played fight against the Bears, but that was like mostly a whatever game for them. The uh, the Cowboys were playing to technically still win the, the division. Obviously, it didn't matter because the Eagles won the game, all that stuff. But for them to come out in a game that technically mattered and play like that, I, I think was pretty concerning. What I'm really most worried about for the Cowboys offense is uh, those Bucks corners. They they like to press, and I and obviously I know Carl Carlton Davis has been injured, and I don't I don't think he's going to be playing for this game, but. Uh, they like to press in general, and I think Michael Gallup in particular has been pretty bad when he's been pressed this year. He just doesn't have the same juice uh, to get away from from those situations that he used to last year. And like, he can still make some really insane contested catches when he's pressed. Like, Dak is still very willing to just throw him a slant when he's pressed, and 
pray to God that he, he comes up with it. And they're usually, they can make that connection work. But I don't think that's the way that you want to live, especially when a lot of the other plays that are going to be sprinkled in there are going to be some really annoying pressures that, that Bulls like to send. So I think it's going to be a deceptively tough game plan for, mm. for the for the Buck, or for the Cowboys offense against the Bucks defense. Yeah, the Cowboys wide receivers get the second worst amount of separation in the NFL. Oof fourth worst percentage of targets are open i think you and i went back about forth about this some of this is like well it's not little chicken or egg like dak loves throwing tight window throws over the middle of the field that's <laughs> definitely part of it so it's there, not just the receivers <laughs> yeah the dak is a is very much a i am going to trust my guy to make the play yeah because i think that this is the right play and so that probably does influence the numbers a little bit i think something that's like i don't know like I don't like want to straw like straw man it, but like I do feel like it has flown under the radar how bad the Cowboys' rushing attack has been. I mean, so I pulled the splits weeks one through ten. They were actually they were twelfth in rushing EPA. I think they were better in success rate, but weeks eleven through eighteen, that's dropped twenty first. They're they've gone from point zero six to zero. So you know they're. Each rushing play is flat for them. Um, it's really been bad on early downs. And again, in the latter half of the season, 27th in EPA per play, and that's where you get its negative. Um, for me, some of that, I mean, I think, you know, Pollard's missed a game or two, but like really like that offensive line is not getting the push that they were earlier in the season. You, you really see that, by the way, between the tackles. So this was, the, I thought, the yes. most dramatic split. Weeks one through ten, they were fourth in yards per carry between the tackles. That's dropped in the second half of the season to twenty eighth, and they run on early downs at the seventh highest rate in football. They're just behind the eight ball constantly on offense, and and I would and I think that's concerning against a Bucks defense that has Vita Vea back and is still pretty solid against the run. It's it, yeah, exactly. It's that. It's one they have been i think in particular their center left guard situation ha- has been has had a lot to do with why they have struggled mm. between the tackles yeah uh, lately i think they have not been very good down the stretch and i think that has hurt them a lot um and then yeah vita vea like the, the bucks run defense is still very very good with him there and if he's you know he's still one of the best noses in the league and if this is a cowboys offensive interior that is not very good that's obviously a winning matchup for uh for the bucks and then if you're going to get behind, like, there are not many defensive coordinators you want to be behind the eight ball against less than Todd Bowles. Um, and Dak is really good at sorting mm. out pressures. He's really good at all that stuff. But at a certain point, like, if you're going to give Bowles, you know, 12, 15 really good opportunities to get after you, he's going to get you. Like, that. that's just what he does. So I would be really concerned about that. I wonder how much the, the Cowboys actually make this a Tony Pollard game and, and really try to attack... Um, the perimeter instead of just trying to get over the middle. Uh, I would be really curious about that because as much as I am, you know, still kind of a, a Zeke homer and, and still think that he's a valuable player, like if there were a game to unleash Pollard and really attack the perimeter and, and try to get away from Vea and stuff like that, this is probably the game to, to try to see unload everything in the clip in, in that regard. Also, by the way, big news, Tyler Biotish, their center, supposed to return to practice. So that's... I think something pretty insignificant. Also, Leighton Vanderesh, quietly a huge loss for them over the last. He's few been weeks. better this year, 
and yeah, and Jonathan Hankins. So those are those are some pretty important reinforcements. Um, the one other thing I do think where the Cowboys have a little bit of advantage is the whole Antoine Winfield slot thing. <laughs> um, the Bucks just have have really struggled uh, defending slot receivers, and I think there you know will be opportunities there with Ceedee Lamb on the inside. Um, so I, yeah, that's something that I would, if I was uh, Dallas, I would find a way to take advantage of that matchup. Um, okay, so I, I lose the LVE coming back potentially on the other side of the ball. Um, at this point, the Cowboys' defensive issues are well documented. It's really because of injuries. Um, they struggle against misdirection in the run game. They struggle on throws to, you know, uh, they struggle with their linebackers and coverage. And then, of course, uh, everyone not named Trevon Diggs at cornerback. Although, I mean, like, Deron Bland, Bland, like, makes cool plays, but you can throw on him. So I yeah. think that's where this comes down to with Tampa. It's like, can you get this the the evergreen question? Will they come out throwing? And uh, I guess equally important, can they neutralize the Dallas pass rush, which would, you know, is Dallas's kind of best chance of stopping them other than uh, Tampa lighting first down on fire by running the ball. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of have my reservations about that because, like, I do think you a normal team should be able to get after this Dallas uh, defense and run on them. Because like you said, like misdirection stuff in particular, they're not very good at. And then it, it, sometimes if you just bully them and try to run like duo between the tackles or something like their interior is just they just don't have the sand in their pants uh, to, to, to hold up a lot of the time. The problem is the Bucks are the worst rushing team by a lot. Um, and they've had their moments, you know, in, in a couple of games. But like for the most part, I just don't think they get very good movement. And I think they have a really bad and dry sense of when they're supposed to be calling runs um, and stuff like that. Like they open almost every possession if they can with a run. And it's like I'm all for establishing it. But like at a certain point, you got to keep the defense honest. And I think they've, they've struggled to do that. Um, and so I think they're not going to be able to run the ball that much. And if they can't. I think it's, you know, those Dallas pass rushers are going to be able to tee off. And this this uh, Bucks offensive line has not been very good this season. Um, you know, they've had injuries, and I know they've been better lately. But for the most part, I think they have not been that good. So I would be really curious to see in what way the Bucks can actually neutralize this Dallas uh, pass rush. Because I, I really don't think it's going to be with the run game. So yeah. I, I would be very curious to see what they try to do. This was the other injury that I was like, whoa, Ryan Jensen. Back at practice. That's crazy, man. I, I, I don't know how these guys are coming back. <laughs> I, unbelievable. And that could be, I mean, like the difference in this game and future games for Tampa, if he's able to play, it would be massive for this team. Uh, I think it's like maybe the most important player. But yeah, it, it, it really, I think everything you just said is correct. And... It, also, I to me, it's like I, I would like to see the Bucks do two things. Obviously, I mean, it's a broken record. Use play action on early downs. Do you know where the Bucks rank in EPA on play action out of the gun? First in the NFL. 0. 0.47. 0.47 expanded points per play when they run play action out of the gun. Um, so you'd want to see that. And then I think using a quick passing game over the middle of the field, attacking those linebackers, even if it's just, you know, five, six, seven yards a pop, keeping them, getting them into second thirds and shorts, and then allowing them to take shots to Evans, you know, or whoever 
Godwin versus those non Diggses, even Diggs, frankly, I think Evans can get him. Um, that's to me, like really what this comes down to. I would agree. I, I would really like to see them, um, run. <laughs> it sounds stupid, uh, cause this is such like a one-off stupid thing, but like, I think you can get basically all those guys on double moves on the outside, um, yeah. with Evans in particular, like Diggs is going to want to do it. And we saw Kev- Kelvin Joseph get murdered on a double move yeah. against the jaguars i want to say um so i would be interested to see if they try to co- throw a couple of those on their shot plays <sighs> who are you picking uh, i've been on the cowboys all year but too, this but feels oh, like a horrible matchup <laughs> I, it's this it's yeah it's it, it feels like the nightmare draw are we them. reacting it, it really too much does. though to how bad the cowboys looked in the week i mean that was disgusting <laughs> i think so and like i really don't think they're gonna play that bad no again um and we're probably overreacting to like the the bucks beating what was it the panthers to to win the division and like the panthers are fine but they're obviously not a playoff team um Brady looks no so you know what I, I i i love dak i'm gonna trust dak i'm rolling i'm rolling with the cowboys I feel not great about it, but I've ridden with with the with the Dallas offense all year. I think I have to go down with the ship. I'm gonna be a coward and wait to see which of all the players I mentioned are coming back. Oh, if you're just leaving Jensen. me out to dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll take the Bucks. I don't know, man. I, this is a tough one. I just seeing Brady have that kind of game. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, he can still do it. <laughs> uh, like, if we were having this conversation after week 15, it would not be close to me. But what if it are. was all a long con and the Bucks come out throwing and... I don't know. We'll see. All right. Take a quick break. Come back. Five more questions for our guest. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Question number one. The NFL Draft. Chicago Bears have the first overall pick. Obviously, there's you know a million things up in the air. But what would you do if you were Ryan Poles with that pick? Uh, I would definitely not take a quarterback. I know some people have thought about that, and I know I am a huge Justin Fields homer. But uh, I think even as a prospect, none of these prospects are, are close to Justin Fields. Um, so I would I would hang on to it in that respect. But I would probably try to trade it to like I I think the ideal spot is I think the Colts are at four. Because what would happen is like, um, You're ahead of you know, you, you would trade it to them. And then assuming whoever, you know, the Colts would take a quarterback at one, Texans at two, um, three would take one of Carter or Anderson. And then at four, you end up with one of Carter or Anderson and you are perfectly happy. And I think that is like the ideal outcome for them. Yeah, Seattle dropping to five was brutal. Because yeah, that's it, tough. The Carter Anderson. Then, I mean, I, got, I have to drop. I have to watch, watch all the other guys, so I don't want to be too definitive about my feelings about them. But um, okay, question two. Let's stick with this off-season theme. Where would you like to see Derek Carr play quarterback? Oh, um, I think probably the Jets. And I know the uh, you know the offense is is going to be a little up in the air because. 
it, there was a report that they fired Michael know, Fleury, and then there was a report that they didn't fire Michael Fleury. But if there was a report that they did, it probably means they're going to. So you know, that's that's all up in the air. Now they're pondering um, it. Is the latest report? <laughs> yeah, they're they're pondering. And if you're pondering, um, you know, a, a week, not even a week after the season, you're you're probably already there. Um, but I still think it's like a really good infrastructure for a quarterback. And like Derek Carr, I think had a, a kind of down year, but like I think even at worst, he's still a top twenty quarterback. And a top 20 quarterback gets this Jets team over 10 wins and into the playoffs. Uh, and, and I think the defense is pretty much going to be as good as it was, uh, you know, this last year. So I, I think that would probably be the, the best scenario for him. Hmm. All right. Question three. What should the Seattle Seahawks do about Geno Smith? I'm I'm team paid, you know, um, and, and, you know, obviously not, a you know, market setting deal or whatever. But like if they can get him on what Tannehill was, I think that's, that's obviously... One. Yeah, like that's that's I think the framework. Um but like I think even though with statistically Gino kind of slid towards the end of the season, but I think it's a lot easier to draw a correlation between that and the offensive line play than it is, you know, with anything that Gino did. I think Gino, you know, over the course of the season played like a top twelve quarterback and it wasn't a situation where I watched the film and I was like, Ah, this is kinda weird, this is kinda fluky, I don't know if he's gonna get away with that again. It was real deal quarterbacking it felt like watching like a washed down version of of you know Dak Prescott or something maybe like he 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 felt very legitimate so I would try to pay him and then I would still explore taking you know one of the quarterbacks you know maybe late in the first round second round or something but I I would still want to commit to Gino for the you know for the near future yeah I need to watch the later ones like Anthony Richardson is the one that I really want to watch I love AR (laughs) (laughs) Mm, mm, okay (laughs) Question number four, um, this is something that Dominique and I talked about earlier in the week, the head coaching jobs and, um, you know, which ones are desirable, da, da, da. Uh, Sean Payton, the Arizona Cardinals interviewed him. What do you think of that matchup between him and, or match between him and Kyler Murray? Or maybe it is a matchup. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, with Kyler Murray at this point, it might be a matchup. Um, It's kind of weird to me because... I don't know, like, if you do watch some of the the oh. earlier... No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we haven't seen it, and then I stopped myself because I was like, wait, he does love Taysom. I, I, not comparing Tyler Murray to Taysom Hill, I just meant in terms of a mobile quarterback, you know, we haven't, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen it. I was just going to say, like, I know we all think of Breeze as, like, you know, the, the short, quick game passer, and that's what it was for the last four years or whatever, but, like, early Breeze stuff, that was a very vertical offense like they were throwing the ball way down the field so I actually think Kyler could be able to do some of that stuff I'm still pretty dubious on Kyler as a passer in like the one to eight yard area uh, especially over the middle and I think that is a pretty core part of Sean Payton's offense even if I think he can do some other stuff so um, I think it would be weird but at the same time I think that is also you know obviously the best way for him to the easiest way for him to get a quarterback I think he knows is competent, whereas all the other spots you're going to end up with like some weird wonky veteran or a rookie that you just don't know what you're going to get. So, Kyler's regression as a deep passer is like, for me, the number one thing you want to fit because, fix because he throws a beautiful deep ball, but he has thrown it, but it was just gone this year. So, um, Well, that brings me to Lenny's question, um, which is actually also about Kyler Murray. Lenny read a report that Kyler is going to have a hand in picking the new head coach, which Dominique Antavis led to a lot of jokes about Kyler picking the leader of FaZe Clan. Um, so Lenny's question <laughs> for you is, one, what is FaZe Clan? And two, 
has Kyler Murray brought shame to you in the gaming community? Um, FaZe Clan is mostly a Call of Duty thing, which unfortunately does bring a little bit of shame to me. I would have liked to see maybe a Hundred Thieves shout out, you know, maybe get the League of Legends team in there or something. That's what I would have liked to see. You know, they wear red, Kyler. It's the same, it's the same color scheme, so it would work. Um, but yeah, that's, it, it does bring me a, a little bit of shame in that regard. We're never going to have another gamer quarterback. <laughs>